people were ragging on the the Bezos cowboy hat, but I think the cowboy hat looks good. <laughs> I, it's the Iconic. only thing that I like. It's the only thing I like about it because it makes me think of the cowboy from uh, Mulholland Drive, <laughs> and I just think about the the space dick that went up uh, as the buggy, and how many drivers does a buggy have? And it's only one, and it's capital. <laughs> The best, I think the best part of the Bezos space discourse is that Bezos did not, I mean, by some, by on some technical definitions, Bezos did go to space. But in fact, you know, if you want to be real about it, Bezos did not really go to space. He did not escape the atmosphere. Right. Which Bezos I, went up you to must the, be this tall to ride. <laughs> so I mean, that's sort of like how the international space law works, unfortunately. Well, not exactly. The, not the tall to ride part, but the like, you must be this tall to pass, uh, I don't know, into international space boundaries. Because literally all he did was like go up to the Von Karman line, right. which is like 50 plus, uh, 54 or something miles up. Um, which was like defined in the fifties as like a theoretical line and became the basis of a lot of like international law stuff. But like the, it's just a theory, uh, but like to actually escape the atmosphere, you have to go like 600 miles up. So it's more like, it's less that Bezos went into space and it's kind of more like he went, let me, let me put it this way. He went for like a nice long swim in the sense that he put his toes into the kiddie pool section. It's you know just what I mean? like a dangerous extra special airplane ride. Yeah. Basically it's not, I don't think it really counts as space. I'm going to go there and say, I don't think it counts. Welcome to the Death Panel. To get access to our weekly bonus episodes, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll be helping to support the show. We do two episodes a week. This is the free one. So if you want access to the whole back catalog, which is now I think over 100 episodes, if you're starting to run out of new content, become a patron. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes and follow us at deathpanel underscore. So uh, earlier this week, actually, in our patron episode, we talked about the Biden administration's new line that America has now entered a quote unquote pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, <sighs> a, um, a thing now, apparently. But yeah. uh, all right. Lovely. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Right. Great. Great job, guys. Um, so Golf it, clap. <laughs> so we're going to check in on how the Biden administration is actually doing with the selling of the covid story. And I think that also includes sort of the latest iteration of the classic line that we've seen throughout the pandemic, which is really the only risk of death from COVID is in the pre-vulnerable. And this time it's a kid's edition based off of a study with a sample size of you're, three. This is today and you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but first, uh, as we were joking about before the start, Jeff Bezos went to space. Well, sort of. Sort of. For a hot second. Jeff Bezos got real <laughs> close to space. He got really close. He almost did it. Too bad, Jeff. He didn't do it. Well, I try mean. Try again. And, Don't try uh, again. Please. 
No, do, because maybe the rocket will explode this time. <laughs> you're conflicted about what your preferences I are. I don't know what I feel like, about this yet. You know, I mean, I do and I don't. I, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I know how I feel about it. I just don't know what the highest chance of my most preferential outcome coming to pass mm. is. That's all. Anyway, we'll check Fair. in on that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, regardless how I feel about what has actually happened itself, I've really enjoyed seeing all of the very serious people get very seriously upset online at people, you know, pointing out the fact that, you, you know, billionaires and celebrities are privatizing space and spending all this money to go on sort of space tourism in the hopes of, I guess, one day, uh, owning Mars or something, you know, that, we're, you know, anyone that's like critiquing these beautiful, rapacious billionaires is really just a sour sport who doesn't love winning and capitalism. Yeah, it, it made me happy that the uh, the editor of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was like <laughs> tweeted out was like, uh, yeah, who cares about this space stuff? Like the Bucks won. <laughs> like, it's like, that's good. That's in rank order of priority and things that matter. Like the Bucks winning is far more important than these goons who like and, and the whole idea that like you know what what you don't understand is like they did it themselves they did things like th this is the line that i keep saying and like if, this isn't i want to emphasize the heroics of private industry the people who are saying this stuff are people who like n no one even remotely reasonable even a lot of people who are usually like just complete contrarian uh, turds about things are are not like going in on this. But like, but the line that is like really hilarious is like, oh, yeah, they're doing things that like the, the federal government like could never do. The governments have never been able to do. They're like, don't you get it? They're like they get the rocket and they're like reusing it over and over again. Like, is it like, OK, first of all. They only use the damn thing once like this is like, let's, be, let's be clear. The, the dude went in, dude went into space one time, but the uh, sorry, didn't go into space one time. Right. Uh, but, the, but the other thing is like the idea is like, oh, yeah, the state hasn't somehow been involved with this uh, that like that there's there weren't. Uh, b effectively billions of dollars in state government subsidies going to like make all of this new space stuff uh, possible. No like, research funding. Been... The idea also that like these all of these companies primary customers are literally states who then they run these exactly. fucking pr like they run their little private rocket up for a public like state funded launch yeah well the, the the idea that they're not somehow now part of the the state apparatus that like we haven't right. been setting up a private property regime managed and like filtered through state subsidy uh like since the 1980s like there have been <laughs> a, like a series of laws uh set up like since the 1980s to commercialize all of these uh uh sort of like rights of access uh to to space and like there's a lot that one could say about that but like i suppose that is sort of what's missed when you know it's just sort of like haha jeff bezos is just like a dope and like uh, you know the vibes of a five-year-old like at his birthday party like wearing the cowboy hat um but like it is you, you know and it's and it's obviously missed that sort of refracted when the 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 line from their defenders is like well don't you you don't get just how it you know impossibly cool their their individual innovation is but yeah we've we've been like creating the plinth for this for like decades and and here's what and here's what it got us like all of the ideas like oh yeah we're gonna like 
you know, we're really going to like revolutionize. And in fact, like Reagan in one of the first major laws, uh, major presidential directives, commercializing space was basically hijacking the uh, the Challenger uh, disaster. <laughs> basically oh, saying no. like, see, see, this is why we need commercialized space flight. Oh, uh, but like, yeah. The idea that somehow we're going to get this incredible new like space program out of uh, privatizing space. No, we just get like a few billionaires just like hanging out and being like, this was so cool, man. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Yeah, I love how I feel like all the people that sort of uh, are engaged in always selling space as this new frontier idea for for business and like and, you know, the expansion of capital treat it like it's almost like this um, cheat code. It reminds me of when I played Sims as a child and you could just put in like rosebud colon semicolon or whatever the cheat code was until all of your money had filled up to the point where you couldn't add more money and then it could never go down. It's like this idea that if you get so rich, you get to play in space. And once you can play in space, you've kind of like unlocked this like techno capitalist, uh, endless utopia of potential resources. It's, it's one of the most like kind of, uh, delusional fantasies of like the the benevolent rich person i think that actually exists in the world you know what i mean the idea that we're going to be sort of saved through the founder of amazon who will colonize mars in the name of the workers that he like you know crushes in the process well no that he is that he he is like the leviathan with all of the people in him (laughs) so there was a my favorite example of this is like one of the guys who's like tweeting it like stop, at the event sorry, stop the episode. That's it. That's the best thing we're going to get today. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Phil. One of the guys who's like at the event at the, the blue origin event uh, is, is tweeting about it and just like taking pictures of himself saying uh, quote uh, in his tweet. We dream. Uh, we share the dream. We do. Others share the dream we do together as one. We (laughs) pierce the skies as one. We rise. We rise. We rise. Congratulations. Blue origin. Jeff Bezos. And then I found out who this guy was. (laughs) Turns out this guy named Rick Tumlinson played a leading role in privatizing the Mir space station in the 1990s. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> and through something that he called Mir Corp. So like this was his whole like project for years. Like all I want to do is just <laughs> privatize the Russian space station. <laughs> it's so cool. But no, but it is. See, there you go. You, you give them one project. You set them. Uh, you, you give all these like capitalists a project in the 90s. You set them loose on like... Uh, on on the uh you know neoliberalization of russia and the colonization of like every single part of the uh the state apparatus there into you know capital owned enterprise and oligarchy and everything and you know what are you gonna do dream bigger right this, just, this uh, guy just, is also- just keep going just uh <laughs> yeah want- just got him got, got everything i want right? to emphasize he's wearing a shirt that says give me space wow I, that's oh. it, r- rocket at rocket rick highly recommend to follow <laughs> essential <laughs> essential content what is I it about space, this guys. situation that seems to have inspired like poetry from these people because there's this other tweet that i flagged that i wanted to do a dramatic reading for you guys from uh, a journalist who also wrote uh, a big history of the 1960s space race named Charles Fishman, who wrote, space is a platform, a new platform. We don't think of it this way, but space is just like the internet. 
Space is a <laughs> platform. Branson, Bezos, and Musk are radically changing the economics of space, a zero gravity economy. Space mm. is le- mm. the thing. Is, the thing is, though, it's very obvious. Like space is less like. I mean, the the idea. Like, I hate this like contradictory bullshit because it's like part of the th- reason that these people get so inspired is you know whether it's like a negative or like an affirmative framing of like oh space is this like escape valve or whatever like the not just the final frontier but this like you know the the new hope for a humanity who has like destroyed their own planet you, or whatever. you might say that uh space is the voyage home or the undiscovered country or the wrath of khan or <laughs> <laughs> but but so it's like right but it, and it's like so space though in all of these framings and all of these senses is less like the internet which the uh the metaphor here is i think the idea of you know this like boundless flexible you know like new territory where like anything can happen or whatever but like space is not like space is not like the internet space is like the east india company or whatever (laughs) or at least this approach to space is like is very literally like the east india company maybe we'll have a chance to like talk about that more in length uh in in the future or something but you know what you know what i mean i mean being horny for space exploration is kind of one of the only ways to be publicly horny for imperialism now without being canceled so i totally (laughs) get it you know it's like all these big boys that maybe you know a hundred years ago would have been signing up to go down to the congo to you know explore the dark continent or whatever the fuck (laughs) and now it's just like they are making poems for um you know jeff bezos and congratulating him on twitter wearing their i need space let's just say i'm i'm going to be over the next week or so dipping back into the cato institute's classic 1990s volume space colon the free market frontier oh hell yeah which i'm sure It's very, very clever. I'm Just enjoying it. Inject that very shit good. straight into my veins. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> now I have, yeah, this is great. Now I have a weekend project. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it offers this very convenient escapist uh, fantasy for, um, I think, a moment when the world is absolutely more terrifying and more obviously burning than ever before, right? You know, it's this kind of guilt-free existence that that I think is very aspirational and optimistic, and I love that for them, all of those beautiful <laughs> businessmen. Yeah. Um, Except to the extent that the launches are successful. (laughs) (laughs) Should we we move on to uh, other stages of denial, grief and bargaining and sadness or whatever? (laughs) Um, So it came out this week that there have actually been a bunch of unreported breakthrough infections among vaccinated members of the Biden administration staff. The White House has not really reported this because of the optimistically restrictive guidelines that they set up for themselves when they entered office about what they were going to report in terms of like, you know, staff case numbers and what they weren't. Well, I mean, the the only reason I think that the like the other previous cases have leaked is because there are like case reporting requirements for certain type of staff members, essentially. So they had to acknowledge this week, despite all the, you know, Sturm and Drong that they've been doing over a pandemic of the unvaccinated and how protected and safe people are or whatever they have a certain amount of cases of people who qualify in this like apparently like vanishingly small window of like people who are sort of like 
actual White House staff and not advisors. It's like there are 500 people or something that have these roles in the White House. And of that, something like 170 are, are subject to this um, reporting requirement. And they have, no, they have no requirement to disclose any of the other cases, even to the other staff members saying right. that like they're just going to rely on contact tracing. So if there's like an outbreak in the office of any kind, they're only letting workers know that are being contact traced as having interacted with the person who was infected. So they're not even letting the lower level staffers know that there's like COVID going around the office at writ large. And like, right. what's their, what's their argument for kind of downplaying this? Like what, what, what are they saying? Is that basically, <laughs> is it that they, by talking for somehow by talking about breakthrough infections that somehow reduces trust in vax like vaccine? Like, is that their, is that their claim? Like, I, I can't understand why, you know, the, when I turn on the radio and like hear Monica Gandhi talking about uh, this, why it's like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. Like, this is never this is like all essentially never a big deal when you see breakthrough infections. Right. Uh, so I it's like and, and again, the CDC is not even like it like made a deliberate policy choice. Like we're we're now changing the sort of like numerical regime. We're not going to like we're not going to even like recommend uh uh, testing and, and tracing of, of breakthrough infections. Right. Which, I mean, I think when, when that policy was first announced, we were talking about how effective that of a strategy that would be to try and produce the numbers required to demonstrate that maybe you had uh, actually ended the pandemic, but it wasn't necessarily like going to be reflective of actual community spread. And that is absolutely turning out to be the case, unfortunately, because, you know, the, the, the CDC sort of declined to treat um, you know, asymptomatic transmission among vaccinated people as a priority at all, despite the fact that it can contribute to variant escape, like significantly, right? And right. that it does contribute to community spread, whether that's spread in vaccinated people or unvaccinated people, spread is spread, right? And yes, it's less likely. And yes, they are less likely to get sick, severely sick or die. But that does not mean zero. And I and it's just been kind of remarkable to watch them treating uh, less likely as zero just absolutely, I think, fall apart all around them, even as they've been pushing this line and 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 deliberately trying to form the data to create this picture. Right. It, you just absolutely cannot make the points connect anymore. Yeah. And I think the the argument that I've seen, which is that like, um, you know, all breakthrough infections aren't the same and asymptomatic breakthrough infections are different than symptomatic ones. And like the you know, to me, it's the like the reality of where the virus is spreading, like is like inheres in the way that we uh, communicate about it. And I think that like it would be hard to say that one part of the problem now is not just like and this is the thing that we were talking about in the patient episode is just that like the if the line is like it's political ideology, specifically like right wing ideology that is causing people not to get vaccinated, which is causing people to spread the disease. Right. But it is so right. evident that like a big part of the story is that at some point we told people that there was no more pandemic, right? <laughs> I was talking to uh, Abby last night about the, this, like this event in uh, San Francisco where like Monica Gandhi, like cut a cordon of uh, masks and they're like a band played happy days or here again. And I was like, that's <laughs> way far more dystopian than like anything we could have come up with. Right, but like yeah. that it, it's, it's hard to like, 
for me to tease out like how much of what's currently going on is really reducible to like in in so many different ways in the way that we count things in the way that we report things in the in the way that we're like you know just sort of commonly describing what what's happening now uh like the contribution of that more generic and, and, and less specifically right wing discourse uh, to the, the continuance of infections and deaths. Well, it's also fucked up, too, because regardless of whatever, uh, I mean, there has been, I think, public pushback to the like, this is only a pandemic of the unvaccinated line. But it's so clearly part of the agenda, not only in the way that you've seen um, so many people reference it directly, but also in the fact that even as of like, I don't know if you guys caught this, but like as of like yesterday, um, Biden did uh, Biden like did the line again. We said in like in the patron episode, we talked about how like uh, not only like Rochelle Walensky, who got the headlines for saying, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is a just simply now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not only uh, Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, saying that it's also coming out of the mouth of Biden himself. And he did it again on a CNN town hall. He said, quote, we have a pandemic for those who haven't gotten the vaccination. It's that basic. It's that simple. Uh, going on to say for people who are vaccinated, <laughs> quote, this is not a pandemic. <sighs> I mean, that's absolute bullshit. Treating the idea that the sort of mass group of people who are unvaccinated is this monolith of like QAnon right wing anti-vax nuts is just plain wrong. There was a uh, there was a report that came out that showed that actually uh, for people under the age of 65, about 24 percent of people who are unvaccinated are people who make under forty thousand dollars a year and have no health insurance. Yeah. Like that to me doesn't necessarily read as someone who is making a decision along ideological lines to not get vaccinated. Just personally speaking, like that wouldn't you know necessarily dictate um, someone being resistant to vaccine, vaccine like technology or thinking it's dangerous more, uh, maybe that there's a fucking problem with how we deliver healthcare in this country. Yeah. Also, maybe I mean, maybe this is a good time to kind of transition to our main thing, which is speaking of this line, a pandemic of the van- unvaccinated. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about on Monday actually is one group that the unvaccinated categorically includes is uh, children. Maybe what's actually the best way to get into this topic is to start with a, uh, a reading a tweet from Monica Gandhi, who has been a major critic of vaccinating children because it's just not necessary, according to her, who, you know, glowingly tweeted about this article by a guy named Marty McCary called the flimsy evidence behind the CDC's push to vaccinate children, which we'll get into a sec- in a second. But Monica Gandhi has been an absolutely shameless COVID grifter for months now. And she tweeted that she was, quote, relieved to see a mortality rate of zero among children from COVID without a pre-existing medical condition from the research team <laughs> yes. at Johns Hopkins may no inform there. school policies good work yeah asterisk uh i love this like lo- the latest in this week's like this this week's particular version of the like kids are superheroes who are biologically speaking not human beings and therefore cannot die from covid is like well you know we we have to acknowledge that some kids have died from covid however you know big asterisk here like 
the kids who died, they had pre-existing conditions. Therefore, it was their fault. Little Johnny, you know, he died from COVID, but he had ADHD. So, you know, that's a pre-existing condition. I don't know. Uh, Well, I think it's also worth mentioning, which we'll get into when we talk about this article and the study it's based on, that the... um, Study is a big (laughs) word there. White paper. The white white paper that um, (laughs) has been used to back this up was based on a grand total of, are you ready for it? Three pediatric deaths in, I think, a data set of just over 2,700 people. So put, put real another comprehensive way. picture of the pandemic right there. Yeah, let's just underline that really quick. Sample size of three for the big claims made here. Yeah, yes. and of three of it. Yeah, I'm like fascinated because this, of course, this is not just like a thing being circulated in... In none of these things are things just being circulated on, you know, the the fringes of this debate. But this idea that like, no, no, the CDC is like moving too fast on uh, childhood vaccination policy is like absolutely in the mainstream of uh, the the discourse. This is this editorial in like Wall Street Journal right. um, that these people are like being featured on NPR. Like it's it's it is, you know, once uh, as we move like closer to you know, back to school time, like this will be a central sort of like node in the discourse. It's going to be like at school board meetings and it'll be, you know, it'll, it will have been very well circulated. And this will like, be cited too. Just yeah. To, and it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter as we're about to, to, to sort of trace out. It doesn't matter that the thing that it's based on is like hokum. And it's not even like a, <laughs> like a good reading of the evidence that does exist. Um, but it it now it's like out there. It's a stylized fact that you can't control it. It's just going to circulate and will be part of the it. It is part of a, a war, right? It is part of a war on the idea that there's any like legitimate role for uh, the state or public health in like protecting and uh, protecting children. The idea that like that that's a, an important thing that you'd want to do. Yeah. And as B was uh, referring to earlier, too, it's especially, I think, sick to see that this is you know not only is this going to be mobilized in these different ways it's also just like i mean it, particularly in the context of uh someone like biden direct you know directly saying as as in the quote that i just said earlier like that for the vaccinated like quote unquote there is not a pandemic which i guess by some of these uh by the, some of the beliefs of people like monica gandhi and marty mccary and uh, all these other people trying to sell this sort of like policy plank and the like push to reopen schools that then like chil- like children would be a part of that too, despite the fact that like um, as actually like shout out for instance to like uh, Jonathan Howard, who's been a, a physician who's been a guest on the show before um, who did this like roundup of headlines, for example, from across the country of just like you, if you put in like children, COVID and any state name, you will see things about like pediatric admissions, people who uh, kids who are like in critical condition or hospitalized and throughout the country. This is not, you know, th- like, again, the, the idea that there is that they, they are somehow like that kids are like somehow impermeable to viruses, like to the virus is ridiculous. But then on top of that, just like the replay, uh, as I was sort of mentioning earlier, like as, as B was alluding to it, it just the manifestation of this now is like as this replay of the like idea the like deaths pulled from the future argument the idea that like oh these kids who are dying well you know they had a pre-existing condition which is a meaningless term in the first place like a pre-existing condition is basically like 
a ridiculous principle we came up with in America to justify the exclusion of people from health insurance pools, right? Right. I, I mean, mean, according to the NIH, an estimated one in four children in America have pre-existing conditions. You know, it's not like this is a... Uh, you know, very subset of people that Monica Gandhi and others are celebrating the death of, you know, it's not like they're like, oh, yeah, it's just the, you know, 2000 sick children in America who are going to die and everybody's fine and we don't have to change anything and we can go back to our old selfish lives as quickly as we fucking want. You know, it's like this is a giant constituency of children. This is like children are not um you know, uh, like alone in a vacuum, they exist within the community as well. Like children, whether they get sick or not, you know, exposing them to a novel virus is not necessarily a smart fucking idea. Like, you know, the fact that COVID itself, technically speaking, can furnish a child with a pre-existing condition. Um, <laughs> what then becomes a pre-existing condition. Yeah. Right. Which like that could then like altogether land the child in intensive care. Like maybe let's say that the kid doesn't die. Right. Let's say that the, ch the child gets COVID and ends up in intensive care, which itself is a terrible fucking horrific horrible, traumatic, not to mention expensive experience for anyone, especially a child to have to endure and potential for uh, and potential for disablement. Right. Also. I mean, there, right. you know, there were like there are uh, were, I think there are over a thousand kids who have been in the ICU from COVID. Like that's a lot of children that don't have to be in the ICU. And I don't know why we treat, you know, death as this kind of like transom where if it crosses the transom of death, then it's bad. But if it's not, then it's totally fine unless they're disabled, in which case, like <laughs> Like, if they die, like, NBD, right? You know, it's this, this like, uh, well, I mean, I guess this, like, kind of ties into, like, Jasper's Jasper Poir's work, who talks about, you know, the way that Israeli soldiers will shoot uh, Palestinians in the leg instead of killing them, saying, like, look, I didn't kill them. I, I, I did the sort of better, more liberal, ethical thing. But, like, ultimately, it's still harm. It's still disablement. It's still, you know, absolutely unnecessary ways of managing populations that are, Decisions that are made fundamentally based on like economic priorities and have nothing to do with human rights or, yeah. you know, a egalitarian like society in any capacity. So should I um, read from this Marty McCary uh, op-ed? Because it really is quite something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that we, we got to get into display. this guy. We found a guy. We yeah, found a guy. So, uh, so Marty McCary, just to set up B, you said he's a surgeon. He is a laparoscopic surgeon. He cool. is the kind of guy who does surgery on a grape using one of those machines. He is a GI surgeon, so he does abdominal surgery. And he has a long history <laughs> of writing on, you know, what is broken in healthcare. And we're going to get into that after the article and where the data comes from, which is even more chilling than the article itself yeah exactly as you as you alluded to mccary is as and as we'll get into among other things a firm uh advocate against medicare for all um so lo lovely uh lovely crossover here love love to <laughs> love to see it it's almost like uh so many of the hallmark goons of the death panel pantheon always just kind of have a set of things in common like yep. a set of core ideological beliefs anyway so uh so this is marty mccary's uh 
article what is the what's the title the flimsy again? evidence behind the cdc's push to vaccinate children right so i'm gonna which is i think a pretty high charge i'd say for for a, a white paper with three people and just to be clear you know this is this is just a new manifestation of a line that we have we have mentioned a bunch of times on the show before which is the don't bother vaccinating children uh line which is just uh kind of pathological but let's get into this in particular so here is here is Marty McCary's op-ed not only sort of demonstrating uh, this this sort of uh, research project, this white paper that has been, you know, was cited by Monica Gandhi and others as as the smoking gun evidence of like children are invulnerable, basically, unless they have a pre quote unquote pre-existing condition. Only the good children, the, the, the right. important ones. All the good children will live. Exactly. The other ones don't matter to Monica. She doesn't so, give a shit. Here's Marty McCary in The Wall Street Journal. Quote. A tremendous number of government and private policies affecting kids are based on one number, 335. That is how many children under 18 have died with a COVID diagnosis code in their record according to the CDC. Yet the CDC, which has 21,000 employees, hasn't researched each death to find out whether COVID caused it or if it involved a pre-existing medical condition i love how that is just like those are two diametric opposites either it's a covid involved death or it doesn't count as covid whether they caught it or not because it's a pre-existing death that was just pulled from the future this is one of the most basic misunderstandings that a a very simple reading of the who guidelines on uh, COVID, <laughs> like the really like basic case guidelines for doing a death certificate on COVID would right. dis- would disabuse you of the idea because you would not put that condition in part one of the fucking death, cer- death certificate. So again, thanks to uh, the Wall Street Journal and Johns Hopkins for, you know, promoting this, uh, this genius. <laughs> also, I just want to, I just want to mention he's calling out the CDC for making decisions based on a number derived from 335 people when the conclusions that he is drawing throughout the course of oh, this article three. is from three people. So, um, you know, if they've got a hundred, I, I know that they're both basically, you know, small figures, but if they've got a hundred times the amount, is there uh, something then, called reverse dick measuring? It's, it's like- <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll continue. Uh, McCary says, Without these data, the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices decided in May that the benefits of two-dose vaccination outweigh the risks for all kids 12 to 15. I've written hundreds of peer-reviewed medical studies, and I can think of no journal editor who would accept the claim that 335 deaths resulted from, again, pot kettle black, fuck God. I can think (laughs) of no journal editor who would accept the claim that 335 deaths resulted from a virus without data, uh, resulted from a virus without data to indicate if the virus was incidental or causal and without an analysis of relevant risk factors such as obesity. All right. Okay, like. so again, but again, uh, the a very basic understanding of epidemiology would disabuse you of the idea that that there that you can make a meaningful distinction uh, between 
uh, factors like obesity and an epidemic that is spreading and would be considered like the key link in the causal chain that you would put in the main part of the death certificate. This is, oh my God, this guy's, he's like, I'm going to show you that I'm an idiot. And then in several subsequent paragraphs, I'm going to I'm going continue to, to show that I am an idiot in the exact same way that I did before. This is really good. I mean, like the other thing about this guy to, to just note is this guy is like a sort of classic influencer in the sense that he had a book that came out some years ago called uh, unaccountable, uh, which was his take on, you know, what was wrong with the, uh, with the, the, the healthcare system, you know, from, from a doctor's perspective, of course. Um, And, you know, let me just, let me just put it to you this way. Uh, His conclusion, he wrote another book. uh, It was like, you know, what we don't need, we definitely don't need Medicare for all. What we do need is to completely like push all of the uh, burdens of health, like further upstream uh, into like other institutions and like get them out of the healthcare space. And two, just like transparency for like healthcare prices and things like that. That's his like solution. Uh, <laughs> d- despite the fact that like in the book, he like goes to a court in New Mexico and like finds that like 95% of the people like in like civil cases in the court are like there for like medical debt um oh restitution God. like so uh but the guy is an influencer because this the first book that he wrote on accountable was like made into a tv show for fox called the resident um which <laughs> that's like, what traces that's fucking that show is that is from? the basis for the show oh my and, God. um let I've me never do, watch I've that never but seen like, it, but like the ads were so I think menacing every in the ad i've seen i've been like this is the most bullshit i used to make fun of it so yeah, much oh my God. <laughs> so Sorry, go the, i watched watched a little bit of the resident um, this morning and um, (laughs) the in the third episode uh, the plot line of the third episode in the first season is the ER budget is cut to cover the costs of someone's surgery and then as a result of like uh, the result of like a modest like cost control to like pay for someone's surgery which again would not happen. Uh, they yeah. would try to find some not sort of like source of donation or they wouldn't do the surgery. Right. Um, the, uh, or they would just like the person would just go into medical debt or whatever. Right. They would just um, go into medical debt. But, but no, no, no. The moral calculus of the episode is um, the ER budget is cut to cover the cost of the surgery. The department as a direct result of that becomes understaffed. And uh, <laughs> uh-huh. one of like the senior nurses is let go. Like they fire a senior nurse, right? Oh uh, God. And Such then, Freakonomics like level, then, like causal bullshit. Oh Jeez. wait. Then her replacement, who's an unex like an underexperienced nurse, she like comes in and then like um incorrectly like triage as a patient uh and then there's like the patient dies and it's this, the whole thing the whole episode like spins out from there but like this guy's under like the, the funny the ironic thing is like the books like clearly they go out and like they f- figure out like oh yeah people are being hosed in in you know the healthcare system and like that's the pitch of the book like the number of people in medical debt but the like the mix of like bad faith and just like utter ignorance as to like how anything works then shines yeah. through in the rest of the book. So it's like, Oh, what do we make of that? Like, Oh, we just need like more transparency and, and competition and uh, you know, the uh, yeah. So it's, so anyway, like that is his understanding of like how death like 
coding works uh, for well, like apparently how hospitals work and how ERs work because I mean that yeah. sounds like that sounds to me more like children playing doctor or something all of the things any of the like staffing children playing doctor and it's just coding children playing doctor yeah right exactly the future <laughs> if we keep on this like health capitalist path the future of children playing doctor will be that they that they will play be playing doctor not in seeing patients but just sitting around and coding and doing billing shit but yeah but like the <laughs> no but like the idea that any of those uh staffing changes would be made because of like that reason or patient utilization at all as opposed to as the result of like i don't know a private equity firm buying the er yeah. or already owning the er or is it a fantasy where like it's the one er in the country that's not owned by a fucking private equity firm or something you know what i mean like whatever anyway i got us off track off of this uh delicious article so i apologize no, yeah that's that's that, that that's all right let's let's continue with the article um okay so mccary mccary writes our report uh found a mortality notice notice actually mccary does not say a study other mm-hmm. people will say study of this. It is not a study. It was not published in a medical journal or, or a journal, an academic journal of any kind. It's just a white paper they put out. So his report found a mortality rate of zero among children without a pre-existing medical condition such as leukemia. If that trend holds, again, this is his quote, it has significant implications for healthy kids and whether they need vaccine doses. Okay. Um, he then kind of goes on to say that like uh, blah 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 COVID. He does he does all these like uh, you know borderline like uh, Great Barrington things, which Great Barrington Declaration things, which are just basically like um, you know COVID deaths are like overreported and overinflated. Um, not even Great Barrington like practically like, verging into Fox News territory at this point. I mean, he has been making the rounds on Fox Fox News for the past like two months, and on in like Wall Street Journal and on you know. Uh, pretty much anywhere that'll have him. Uh, he just did something like six hours ago with Andy Slavitt, where they were talking about, you know, the real problem is, problem is the politicization of public health. Like, uh, Dr. McCary has been a huge advocate of children don't need to mask. If you've had a natural infection, you probably don't need a vaccine. In January, he put out an op-ed being like, why I'm not getting vaccinated right now. In June, he said we had reached herd immunity. Yeah, in June, <laughs> in June, he said we reached herd immunity. He said we oh. hit it by April and then declared victory in June. You know, like a, a month ago, he's he's like giving, um, you know, interviews with Fox News saying, you know, a doctor says, like, hold off on vaccinating people. And he's saying, like, I work with transplant patients. I work with like high risk oncology patients. Like, I know, like. You really, if you're healthy, if you're not one of my sick patients, like you're fine. You don't need a mask. You don't need a vaccine. Like you got exposed 10 months ago. You're good to go. Like just resume, resume normal life. And and he and Monica Gandhi also wrote another article that came out the day after this one that Artie's reading about how we are testing too many asymptomatic people, God. giving a false impression of how the pandemic is actually spreading. Sure. Oh, my God. Which is actually literally the opposite of the truth, considering that the yes. CDC, the CDC as of May stopped counting, uh, not only stopped suggesting um, testing for, but also stopped counting basically cases of uh, people who had breakthrough infections in their in their um, official reports other than those who had advanced to the stage of hospitalization. So actually 
Monica and Marty. Uh, we are flying extremely blind. But anyway, uh, McCary continues uh, and he kind of goes into this whole thing. He literally basically spends a paragraph suggesting that vaccines may not be safe for children, which is just wonderful. Um, Real winner here. And then America's finest. Get ready for a hell of a um, cameo. Uh, Quote, authorities should also consider whether a single vaccine dose is a safer option for healthy kids. Not only has the CDC refused to examine the possibility of a one-dose regimen for minors, Harvard epidemiologist Martin Koldorf told me he was <laughs> kicked off the advisory committee working group on COVID vaccine safety after he expressed a dissenting opinion. Just rich, just lovely. Well, yeah, dissenti- a dissenting like opinion hearsay. such as <laughs> a dissenting opinion such as we should let COVID rip through the population. That's one dissenting opinion. Kaldorf didn't say rip. He said just gently let unfettered, unchecked spread go through the population. Remember, like he said, he doesn't say rip and he does take issue with saying rip. He just wants, you know, unchecked spread, not let her rip. It's very different. One uses a word that has three letters and the other one uses many more letters. That's the big difference. By far my favorite part of this whole thing is how not only obviously the entire framing of this article is entirely around the idea that the kids who are seeing adverse outcomes, uh, including death, are basically blaming them that it's like their fault or something because they had a pre-existing condition and there was something that essentially doing a biological inferiority argument. I mean, not even essentially, literally doing Oh, yeah. biological inferiority this is uh, uh, social darwinism survival of the fittest eugenics whatever you want to call it yeah. like it's this is plain as day like very obvious um, yeah exactly uh it is all of those things 101 and he so after kind of doing this framing he then sort of returns to make sure in case the subtext weren't clear or in case you had to sort of wonder how he felt about that idea then applied to adult covid cases for example um he he says this quote Early in the pandemic, the CDC left us all flying blind by not reporting the medical conditions of those who died of COVID. Collecting collecting this information early would have made it easier to protect nursing home residents and patients with renal failure or diabetes. It took until March 2021 for the CDC to report that 78% of COVID hospitalizations were among overweight or obese patients. Like, what Fuck a mother percentage of the United States population is overweight or obese? Like this is just it's it's pointless. I also, mean it's pointless. Like, <laughs> it's pointless because that's you know the like the basic like tenets of epidemiology would say the most important thing is like to pinpoint geographically where this is spreading. Like that's um and again, like to uh, to think about what data collection was like for especially like the first the first four months of the pandemic, the case definition wasn't entirely settled. Um, we had essentially what uh, an incredibly like limited testing regime. It remained ultimately like limited throughout the pandemic. Like this, this person is like this is exactly the kind of person who would write a an episode of or like would write the basis for an episode of a show where like the e, the ER. Right, the very <laughs> basis for a show. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, th- this is the exact kind of person who would write the basis for a show 
uh, episode where uh, like it, there's a completely fictional uh, economy of uh, like, you know, how, how a hospital would like pay for a surgery like this person. Right. And again, like the, like later on, he's like the, the, the CDC and the FDA have like thirty nine thousand people. Why can't they put pe- more people on this? It's like because they're like multidivisional bureaucracies with a lot of different things that they are responsible for doing. You can't like. It's like saying, why don't we just repurpose the entire uh, ICU to do like OB-GYN? Like in the hot, like it's just like so dumb. Also, like oh if you God. open an article saying the CDC has 21,000 employees and you close it with a flex of saying the CDC plus the FDA combined has 39,000 employees. I don't know what point you're trying to make other than perhaps both the CDC and FDA are severely chronically understaffed just saying yeah that will help. you know because that's not like a huge brag right like oh you know i know i said the cdc was big at the beginning but here's you know eighteen thousand adi- or no not even like what is it eight th- i'm so bad at math but like, eighteen thousand additional employees that you know the other agency has like ooh. The CDC is just the aggregator of data that comes from a combination of hospitals, yeah. state governments and local governments. Like, again, the, this. So the I love that, you know, the editors at the Wall Street Journal are clearly working overtime because like one, this article like repeats like there's like two or three paragraphs that are just repetition, which, you know, in, in whatever, like 750 word article, you would think you maybe want to avoid. But also, it's just hey, you like, got to so make really... sure they get the one key idea, which is that if children die from COVID, it's their problem. They're, they're like, know? oh, Marty, you know that, you know, that one like really dumb and incorrect point that you made early on. Can you like, we need two or three more paragraphs on that, my friend. How many different Please. ways can you write an injury to one is an injury to one? <laughs> No, he goes on to say, like, most strikingly, the CDC has never systematically collected and reported the number one leading indicator of the pandemic, daily new hospitalizations for COVID sickness. Instead, the CDC offers a lagging indicator of hospitalization for anyone who tests positive for COVID. Like, again, one, that's the WHO international case definition or or the hospitalization like data definition. But number two, it has to report lagging data because, again, for the 300th time, it's not the institution that collects the data right. directly. Uh, so just you fucking moron. Like, <laughs> right. well, which also makes the whole thing f- like, it's funny. Cause the thing I, I glossed over the sort of paragraph where he says like, Oh, and there's signs that uh, there's over reporting of cases. And, and to, to prove that he links to this, like one story of a single County in uh, California that has, um, adjusted its COVID like death case down by I think something like 400 people over the course of the pandemic. And if you actually look at that, uh, like if you go if you go and read about that process and why it was revised down, part of it was that like that specific county, which again because of like the way that uh, reporting is done and uh, and the uh, Phil you alluded for instance to like the sort of disorganized nature of the initial response that county was forced at the very beginning of the pandemic to construct its own um, COVID reporting criteria, right? So they were like, so like the revision thing is literally just a process of like putting it, it right. just harmonizing, like, yeah, the data. <laughs> harmonizing the data with Jeez. like the aggregate, but still those 400 people who died still died like 
uh, like still had COVID when they died. Right. That doesn't but mean, it offers an opportunity like, for our friend Marty to seed some doubt right there. You know right. what I mean? Which is ultimately yeah, the priority. This is why I'm going to have to hear about this. Yeah. From. Yeah. This is, I'm going to have to hear about this uh, in, the, in, in the fall when, you know, people are like, oh, but that like aren't COVID numbers like inflate. No, they're not. Uh, th- <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you for uh, thank you for spreading uh, the worst kind of just half truth mistruth like a g- completely basic like base level undergraduate misunderstanding of how any f- blessed thing in the world works i thank you marty <laughs> i really you've made my job so much more fun i mean i think it's like his accusation of like you know you got to be careful what data you use because if you use incomplete data you'll be pushing like misleading things that are wrong and you're going to expose all these children to the harmful effects of vaccines potentially or whatever the fuck he says like his um, his white paper comes from data that is reported from a company called Fair Health. And this company aggregates data from a very specific set of the population, which is from private health insurance billing. Um, so his study that he or his sorry, his report, which he argues is more robust than all of the other data being used that suggests absolutely otherwise um, towards a picture of, no, actually about 25% of quote-unquote healthy children with COVID die. Um, His data comes from a sample size of 2,753 deaths total, which are, again, all coming from this like very specific uh, people who are insured through private employer plans. And all of that data comes from this company, Fair Health. Health, which bills itself as a means by which to disrupt the, you know, bad and evil pricing schemes of the healthcare industry through, wait for it, consumer transparency. <laughs> of course. Right. So this, you know, even where this data is coming from, even the frame of this company, this is all part of his bigger sort of influencer agenda about, you know, really what is the problem with healthcare is this sort of uh, intersection of like transparency, the free market and eugenics, I guess. Right. And one of the things that this company does, which is just kind of absolutely terrifying, is it offers this service called the Palliative Care Shared Decision Making Initiative, which I went through today and I did before we recorded. And uh, this tool basically walked me through how to make a decision um, if I were a very seriously ill person, how to make a decision based on cost benefit analysis, whether I should continue or whether go off of dialysis. Oh yes. And it presented to me quite a horrible picture um, where it said, you know, what what will happen? You know, it offers like, here's a question you should ask, like, how will my life change if I stop dialysis? And at the very end, it offers two different price estimates of how much it would cost to stay on dialysis, which is like above $24,000 if you don't have insurance, or how much it would cost to go on palliative care and die, which it offers at around $504. So that is the perspective of where this uh, data is collected. And this company bills itself to the general public, to consumers, as a... um, a is designed to quote help you understand your healthcare costs and health coverage through transparency. And from digging around, the idea is that if you um, know that you have care that you might need, you could sort of plug in the details of your plan and plug in the details of your health condition into their service in advance. And then from aggregating other billing data, they can give you an estimate of what it's going to cost, so you can decide if you're going to go after that treatment or not. 
that's really what this product Lord. is. And mm, um, really, of course, really to great. the client-facing totally. side, you know, to the industry side, health first or sorry, fair health sells itself as a way to support business decisions, claims adjudication, policy making, and day-to-day cost estimation needs for healthcare consumers. So this is like not surprising that this data, which, you know, is obviously incredibly biased, has led to fueling this incredibly biased idiots sort of version of events of what's happening. But, you know, the fact that that's like then like going to become, you know, Phil, as you're saying, this is something that we're going to just like keep hearing about the way that this is like reproduced and made to be legitimate through these op-eds is like, I think honestly been one of the biggest like noise and policy hurdles that we've we've seen throughout the pandemic is just this like constant echo chamber of like co- like academic covid grifters who are just here to like push their little issues and complicate things a little bit and and you know uh ultimately like have only been just giving opinions that serve power that serve economic prioritization and reopening and that have been like reproducing this eugenic logic of like anyone that has a pre-existing condition well you know, too bad. So sorry. They're yeah. like pre-written off from Their the death, death rolls. Was merely you know. pulled from the future. Yeah. And, it's- uh, yeah. It was preordained in some way. This person who, you know, they merely, uh, I mean, what was even the thing? There was that Boris Johnson quote that leaked, uh, not leaked, but you know, the, one of his aides or something, um, said it to a, said it to a tabloid, um, just recently that was like, oh, well, I, like he, that I guess Boris Johnson, like early in the pandemic had like joked via text message or something that like, well, you know, uh, the uh, a bunch of the people who are who are dying now already had like exceeded their life expectancy. So really, the virus gave them gave them like extra time or something. You could live longer with COVID, um, which was whatever a joke based on the the kind of other the inversion of what the the whole line of thinking has been throughout the entire uh, pandemic, basically, which is uh yeah the the idea that like well you know to to justify the idea of how many people have died let's just say like well uh well this this person only had a few years left anyway right i mm-hmm. mean which is now again like to to keep this line going you want turn it to kids like great just great right Fan, right fantastic want- job everybody like i love that i love to see this <laughs> this all of this rhetoric just like repeated in the fucking white house all the time too. oh i it's know, cool. I know. And, and are you ready to hear i just want to read you this one last part of the um you know the dialysis decision maker which is a question that says how will i feel and the section for stan how will i feel about what how will you feel staying on dialysis versus stopping dialysis? Gotcha. So how how will you feel staying on dialysis? Quote, it is often difficult to know which problems are caused by dialysis or by kidney failure. Being unable to think clearly and feeling sad are common. Out of 100 people, about 71% feel tired, 37% have shortness of breath, and 47% have pain. Now, to stop dialysis, quote, being unable to think clearly and feeling are and feeling sad are common with kidney failure. Out of 100 people in their last few weeks of kidney failure, only 69% feel tired, only 53% have shortness of breath, and 41% have pain. So it's this like picture as if you could quantify and reduce down the experience of kidney failure and um and palliative care and dialysis to this sort of statistical survey of how did other people do in the normal process of dying while they point out over and over, you can't really tell what's kidney failure and what's the dialysis itself, you know? And of course, are you ready for this? This like percentage breakdown that they've given, you know what the sample size is for each group? A hundred people. Okay. 
So? So that's 69% of people reported feeling tired when they gave up on dialysis versus 71% of people reported, or sorry, 71 individual people reported being tired when they continued dialysis. And so, and 69 individual people reported being tired when they stopped. And that, they think, is a way to present information to a dialysis patient to decide whether or not they should continue their care or not. I mean, it's, it's some of the most base manipulative bullshit I've ever seen. Well, at least I guess by the sound of it, that uh, group that McCary is citing is consistent in their generation of kind of meaningless statistics to goose uh, social reproduction for people like this. I guess. Um, I mean, I just want to mention one thing, though, which is that you guys, you, know, you, you guys have talked a lot about how uh, both like uh, this organization, McCary is citing uh, fair health and how uh, McCary himself have uh, talked a lot about um, price transparency as like the way to fix uh, the healthcare system. I, w- I do want to mention uh, one other thing, which will probably come as a surprise to uh, nobody, especially considering what he's written in this op-ed, which is that Phil talked briefly about uh, McCary's, uh, an earlier book of McCary's. And I want to just highlight very briefly before we go his most recent book, which was called uh, in 2019, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who is this we? Who indeed is we? The Price We Pay, what broke American healthcare and how to fix it. Um, and I, uh, I, I think I don't even necessarily have like a quote, we've read a lot of quotes uh, from him already, so I don't even necessarily want to get into this, but I will say, so for him, it's not just the idea of the price transparency and basically like, which is sort of like saying, letting the market do its work, right? Making sure that like people are, uh, people are studious, uh, you know, shoppers for for their uh, health care needs or or whatever. Right. To put it we'll plainly, it. Uh, we're going to design some manipulative infographic tools in order to discourage people out of expensive health care decisions. Right. But uh, yeah, it's not just that. It is. Uh, it is. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Overutilization mm. that is uh, that is doing in or whatever uh, yeah. the American healthcare system that is like making the American healthcare system so expensive and is the reason why people don't like uh, health insurance companies or whatever. That overutilization is like making everything so expensive for people. Um, and you know, I mentioned we've all heard this before. Like, fu- I mean, it, fuck, it's clearly a good line, right? I mean, right. like it worked for a tool Gawande. It bought a tool Gawande, a one-way ticket from the New Yorker to the Obama White House. And now Biden has just named him to a position doing like international COVID <laughs> stuff at USAID. God. So like whatever, like good for Gawande. That's going to go great. Um, but it's just, it's <laughs> the ridiculous thing. And again, so this, uh, the, this like uh, the price we pay, right? Uh, what broke America and healthcare and how we fix it is McCary's big screed about how uh how you know things like medicare for all for example are misguided because the idea the problem is his his argument and his speci- actually specifically his argument about medicare for all is that like everyone wants like the government to to pay for healthcare and then what happens but like the government takes on the like healthcare payer role and uh, and then sooner or later, like the government is so bad at funding things. And so things get like cut and Ugh. then people don't like it. And then 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 we're super sooner or later, we're rationing, which is basically just like the same. The, I mean, the thing that's like frustrating about uh, McCary actually is like all of these ideas. It's like 
every single one of them is actually just very clearly manifested from the COVID stuff to this like national health insurance stuff actually is very demonstrably, I think just sort of like a crummy game of telephone coming from like more refined. I mean, as far as I've seen it, like coming from more refined versions of all of these arguments down eventually to where it gets kind of like repeated through this weird imperfect vessel of McCary because he's not actually very he's not like actually a very good writer nor is he certainly oh, a very terrible. good speaker at all oh, so bad um and even like his like his arguments about national health insurance sound to me like basically like knowing the history of people beating their fucking chests against uh national health insurance programs uh and against like socialized medicine he literally sounds like he's saying shit straight out of like fredrick hoffman in like yeah. 1910 or something <laughs> yeah and also um, i mean who was a fucking race scientist by the way but, but, anyway. but also <laughs> it, like the, it sounds explicitly like the kind of arguments that the you know health insurance industry um, and physicians groups like made in, in explicitly in like the 1990s with a push to like the consumer model uh, as like the, the consumer model sort of always been there. But like in the 90s, like the consumer model was the, the got repurposed as the solution to all that ails uh, <laughs> right. healthcare. And like the, the funny thing about it is it is this kind of vampiric uh, argument, which is not only does it live on even after it's been like shot, stabbed, mur- you know, <laughs> strangled, pushed out of the castle window into the moat. Like it's just, but not only yeah. does it live forever, the people that it bites and infects, like they live forever too. Um, right. like, it's just like the very, um, like it doesn't matter how many times like this idea has been disproven. It doesn't matter the fact that like, uh, McCary himself is a beneficiary of a system that, uh, in which specialists get to, uh, you know, have very little uh, pressure on the the prices that they charge people. Like, no, that doesn't matter at all. It's just like, this is something, and it doesn't matter that he's a terrible writer and that there's like very little evidentiary basis in the book. What matters is it's something you can put on in a 10 minute NPR segment where yeah. while people are driving from like DC to like Anacostia, right? you know, and that's like, and that's it. That's all you need. That's real. Yeah. They figured out that like in terms of social reproduction, it like put the fail sons out there, like put, 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 put the mm-hmm. idiots out there. Like it doesn't matter. All you need is just more of it. Yeah, that's it. Um, and yeah, exactly. I mean, his and his ultimately his uh, argument and the kind of thing that becomes quite literally the subject of, uh, you know, little like uh, NPR segments is, you know, like his argument that the structure of this book is around uh and again it's not you know it's not done particularly well but having read the tea leaves of i think the argument he was trying to make the structure is basically or not even read the tea leaves it's just like i don't know i would have i would have made this a lot i would have made the takeaway that he's clearly trying like fumbling towards get to getting to like much clearer if i were trying to write this but like he he says he's saying essentially like the the question of like national health insurance a national health insurance program something like medicare for all is beside the point <laughs> because actually the the problem is is not who pays for the health care the problem is that we have such a disorganized uh, bad system for uh the like for for uh, doing and providing the healthcare to the point that you get these like you get predatory doctors who are going and, mm. and finding people who are doing a bunch of extra uh, to just do extra surgeries uh, on them and things like that to to bilk money from them and like okay whatever 
provider fraud. Sure, that's like a thing. But you know what? That's a better example of than anything. The need for a fucking like for the not need a single for pair. the need for not only a single <laughs> pair, but for a national health service or for like a health service of some kind to basically like socialize the physician profession. If that's mm-hmm. what you're actually worried about, you are not making the argument that you think you are. You know what I mean? And so uh, and I mean, he literally does this by like pointing to the, the whole beginning of the book. This like I would say it's the first chapter, but it's like 2000 words or something. <laughs> so it's basically it's like reading Trump's like diddly little book or whatever. But like um, the but the whole first chapter is basically about like pointing at this uh, po- pointing out at like community health clinics like brought out uh, as like pop-up health clinics at uh, and like screening events at churches and stuff and saying like look here's uh, like this is this is like a terrible way to do things because this is an opportunity for like predatory doctors what? to go in and say that people who have like hypertension or whatever should get stents in their legs and they don't need it and medicare will then pay for it uh. and it leads to all this bloat and like if someone else clearly if someone else gets something then your then whatever you need or don't is going to cost you much more money and it's i don't know it's the same i'm I have to, I mean, part of my frustration is I've just been, I've been, I have, we've, we've literally for the last few months been enmeshed in the last century of these arguments. They are so frustratingly the fucking same. Mm -hmm. And if it makes, if anyone's frustrated about this or like frustrated by like that article that we read or the fact that Monica Gandhi was firing off fucking tweets about it, like approvingly, or that like, basically that is sort of the, 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 uh, prescription that he has in terms of like how to think about covid deaths and how to think about children's covid deaths if that pisses you off delight in the fact that having looked at a lot of these figures throughout history i can tell you resolutely that marty mccary is a fucking speck who will just who is just going to be whisked away and never heard from again until some asshole like me goes back to look to see what terrible depraved bullshit was being sold in the business press at the time as the reason (laughs) to forestall fucking revolution and systematic change. That's it. Yeah. Well, Mm. so I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Uh, Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to support our work and get access to all of our bonus episodes, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. We do two a week. This is the free one. Uh, If you want to hear more about the pandemic of the unvaccinated, then become a patron and listen to Monday's episode. That's it for today. As always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
Todo el día en él.